I'll just get you to wrap up those conversations. We're, we're going to, my name's Daniel, by the way, for those who haven't met me, and we're going to continue uh, our readings in Proverbs and also one in Luke. So if you join me in Proverbs chapter 19. Better the poor who is blameless than a fool whose lips are perverse. Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. Wealth attracts many friends, but even the closest friend of the poor person deserts them. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Many carry favour with a ruler, and everyone is the friend of one who gives gifts. The, sh the poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? Though the poor pursue them with pleading, they are nowhere to be found. The one who gets wisdom loves life. The one who cherishes understanding will soon prosper. A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will perish. It is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. How much worse for a slave to rule over a prince, to rule over princes. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is one's glory to overlook an offence. A king's rage is like the roar of a lion but his favour is like the dew on the grass. A foolish child is a father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Laziness brings on deep sleep, and the shiftless go hungry. Whoever keeps commandments keeps their life, but whoever shows contempt for their ways will die. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. Discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. A hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. Rescue them, and you will have to do it again. Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. What a person desires is unfailing love, better to be poor than a liar. The fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he will not even bring it back to his mouth. Flog a mocker and the simple will learn prudence, rebuke the discerning and they will gain knowledge. Whoever robs their father and drives out their mother is a child who brings shame and disgrace. Stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. A corrupt witness mocks at justice, and the mouth of the wicked gulps down evil. Penalties are prepared for mockers, and beatings for the backs of fools. And our second reading is from Luke chapter 15, uh, beginning at verse 11. Just give me a moment. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. He began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his, field, to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was, a still, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Morning, everyone. Uh, thanks, Dan, for reading the Bible for us this morning. And um, thanks also for reading uh, Proverbs 19. As we're going through Proverbs, we're into the, the thick of the proverbial sayings. Uh, and so we sort of got a bit of a sampling of some of the Proverbs we're looking at today. But we see them uh, also in the context that they come to us in the book of Proverbs, uh, interspersed with wisdom for all sorts of life's situations. Um, like uh, Scott said earlier, great to have you here, great to have you joining us this morning if you're here in person uh, or if you're joining us via the live stream. Uh, great to be considering the book of Proverbs with you this morning and what it has to say. In case you haven't met, I'm Lachlan. Um, I, I look after the congregation here at Camaray at nine. Um, but before we get stuck into it, a quick quiz for you. Uh, which of the following American publications claimed the following? I think we have uh, our four options here. So is it Vanity Fair, Christianity Today, the Atlantic or the New Yorker that said the following uh, in 2018, so quite recently. Uh, when this publication's founders created this magazine uh, so many years ago, the American family was not top of mind. Uh, this publication, they wrote, would be devoted to literature, art and politics. Early on, its foremost concerns included the abolition of slavery and uh, the future of America as a united nation. But soon enough, the editors came to understand that the well-being of a nation its culture and its economy was tied up with the health and vitality of its families. And so the questions families face, how to raise children, how to sustain love, how to build equality into the most complicated human relationships, how to earn and save money in such a way as to make the next generation better off than the last, soon became preoccupations of the magazine. Uh, in 2018, which publication do you think uh, made that claim about Families. You have a quick chat with the person next to you and I'll do a, a straw poll of hands up. So just chat for a moment. All right, uh, straw poll, hands up. Uh, anyone think it would be Vanity Fair? Uh, a couple of people. Anyone think Christianity Today? Not a couple of people again. The Atlantic? Or a few more people. And The New Yorker? Well, I think, the, I think the New Yorker has edged it out. Uh, the, the, the correct answer is The Atlantic. Uh, you know, the, the New Yorker, not too dissimilar. Uh, but even secular authorities in 2018 can see the value of families that are healthy and vital and seek to wrestle with 
the everyday issues that families are facing. So it's no surprise that Proverbs, the Bible's great book of wisdom, also tackles family issues. We're in the middle of a series looking at the book of Proverbs, the Bible's book of collected wisdom sayings. Um, And just in case you've missed some of the earlier talks in the series, just a couple of anchor points that we have as we're looking at wisdom uh, is that wisdom is all about understanding how the world works and how to live in the world for joy. Uh, And that wisdom, it involves our perspective, our practice and our passions. Um, And for Christians in particular, for God's people, true wisdom is building your life on God's love and faithfulness alone. Uh, Proverbs uses the phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when it says that, it means that the starting point for wisdom, for living well in the world, is understanding who God is. Uh, He's our creator and our saviour. And he's given us these instructions and this wisdom to live his good and life-giving ways. Um, and as we're looking at Proverbs, we're particularly narrowing down on, uh, on some, uh, some topics. We've considered words a few weeks ago. Uh, we were looking at planning last week. As we look at these proverbial sayings uh, and how they encourage us, challenge us, and provoke us to consider what it looks like to live wisely in the world today. And today we're con- particularly considering what fear of the Lord looks like through the lens of family. More specifically, what does Proverbs have to say about marriage and parenting. Nothing too controversial there. Um, There are a few things that are worth flagging before we get going, though. Uh, You know, most of us, we we want wisdom for our marriages and for parenting our children. Uh, And this morning, compared to the last couple of weeks, we're we're panning back out a little bit. Over the last few weeks, um, Foxy and Paul, they narrowed down on a a couple of proverbs in particular, a couple of proverbial sayings specifically. Uh, This week, we're going to pan out a little bit and try and get a bit of a sense of the overall direction that Proverbs points us in as we think about marriage and families. And it's not so much the GPS uh, instructions of how to get from A to B step by step. It's a little bit more like uh, being on a ship and using lighthouses to navigate, uh, to help you keep tracking overall in the right direction, while still giving you freedom to actually navigate the conditions of the seas you're in. Uh, There's general direction that it gives with freedom to think, how does this apply in my particular circumstances? Um, It's also worth flagging that, you know, these topics are, of course, bigger in the Bible than just the book of Proverbs. This morning, we're limiting ourselves to the book of Proverbs. And also just to remember that Proverbs sets itself up as a father teaching his son. So as we look at these topics, uh, some parts do have more of a male focus in the first instance. Uh, Proverbs has something to say to all of us, but we just need to be careful as we wrestle uh, with the text that God has preserved for us, just to be aware of. Um, you know, if you're single as well or, or don't have kids, uh, even if this is not directly applicable to you in the first instance, uh, as we keep unpacking uh, these ideas, it is still important to keep spurring and encouraging uh, those of us who are married or do have kids to keep living wisely. But it also feeds into our understanding of the church, and we'll touch on that at the end of the talk. The final thing, there's so many caveats this morning, the final thing it might be worth being aware of um, is that the focus of Proverbs does tend to be how to do things well, and that is true for marriage and parenting. And so if you're here in in person or online uh, and you are uh, grieving pain in your marriage or or from wayward children, uh, we will consider some of the consolation that Proverbs offers 
but just to be aware that the focus on Proverbs is much more getting things right, and a good chunk of the content uh, here, it wouldn't be my first step for consoling someone in pain. Um, so just a few things to bear in mind as we come to Proverbs this morning. I'm going to do it in three parts. First, the gift of your spouse. Uh, second, keep the family focus. And finally, uh, considering families in a broken world. That's what we'll be looking at today, the three general points. Uh, firstly, the gift of your spouse. Uh, there are a whole range of proverbs that speak about marriage. And there can be, I don't know if you've noticed this as you've read through, you probably have, there's a bit of a degree of ambiguity to just individual proverbs when you take them in isolation. But the bigger picture can help us think about well, how do these individual proverbs relate to each other and what do they say to us? And as the father teaches his son in Proverbs, he's clear that a wife is a gift from God. So, for example, I should have it come up on the screen, 1822, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favour from the Lord. Uh, 1914, houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. The father teaches his son that a wife is a gift from God. We've seen in previous weeks that wisdom in Proverbs is living in light of God's grace and kindness and mercy. And here we see that marriage in particular is shaped by the understanding that the son's wife is a gift from God. That's his, his starting point of reference. So in uh, 5.18, the father instructs the son to rejoice in the wife of your youth. Uh, these, I think, are the foundational dispositions that are put forward for our approach to marriage. It is a gift to rejoice in. And that's why the father exhorts his son, rejoice in your wife. And I think these are important to bear in mind as we think about some of the other proverbs about marriage. And it's kind of a helpful corrective as well to some of the teaching that our world might give us about uh, relationships and marriage. Uh, the world will tell us that joy and love are just emotions we can't control, uh, and sometimes they just dry up. That, that's it. You can't do much about it. Uh, but Proverbs is different. It says that actually our relationships with our spouses is founded on something far deeper than just fleeting emotions. The father tells his son his wife is a gift a gift from God, and exhorts him to rejoice. Uh, but while the father does hold up rejoicing in God's gift of a wife to his son, uh, we can't do Proverbs teaching on marriage justice uh, without considering one of the more awkward sayings that Proverbs has recorded for us, or at least one of the more awkward ones from our context. Uh, from 9.13, a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. Initially, when I was thinking through this talk and, you know, what things I would address, I thought, I am not going near that verse with a 10-foot barge pole. Uh, I mean, there's far too many men who've used it unhelpfully, uh, belittling their wives or women in general. And to my shame, in the past, you know, I've been all ready to use this proverb for a cheap laugh. But I think many of us know it's here. Uh, many of us have either used it unhelpfully or had it unhelpfully wielded against us. And it actually has an important point to make. You know it has an important point to make because the teacher doesn't just record this proverb, he actually records five similar sayings. So 21.9, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. 21.19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome, nagging wife. And he goes on five times. What do you do with them? 
Well, remembering that the teacher has already established that a wife is a gift from the Lord and that the instruction he gives his son is to rejoice in his wife. I mean, why is he now seemingly so negative? I don't think he's speaking ill of of women or wives in general. I suspect he's drawing out how awful it is to have a marriage that's characterised by conflict and to recognise just how easy it is for conflict to arise in marriages. Uh, The Gottman Institute for Marriage uh, does a lot of great research on marriages and it has plenty of advice for maintaining healthy marriages and offers various tools uh, to help with difficulties that our marriage faces. Uh, And one of the things that the research that they do is highlighted is four key marriage killers and they all revolve around conflict. So criticism of the person, uh, contempt, you know, sarcasm and cynicism towards them, uh, defensiveness and blaming fault on the partner, or even stonewalling, something that men are particularly prone to, just tuning out of the relationship and refusing to engage. The different types of conflict. And while it starts to blur outside of the family topic per se, one of the other topics you come across in Proverbs is conflict. And I think the teacher in Proverbs is linking our marriages to his teaching on conflict. He highlights how tragic conflict in marriage is. Uh, You know, we could spend a a whole profitable talk unpacking the conflict theme on Proverbs, but, you know, we can only do so much in one morning. So, you know, just skim the surface of a couple of these Proverbs. Listen to some of the guidance the teacher gives on conflict. 10.12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Or 15.8, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. 29.11, fools give full vent to to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Uh, Proverbs exhorts us to deal with conflict lovingly and patiently to bring about peace. We've also seen that Proverbs calls on husbands to recognise their wives are a gift from God and to rejoice in them. And so... As Proverbs holds up this, the tragedy and the difficulty of marriages that are plagued with conflict, I think the implication for husbands in particular is to lovingly and patiently work through the conflict because marriages that are characterised by conflict are terrible. But it's hard. Uh, patiently working through conflict and rejoicing in your spouse, it's hard. And the final cluster of sayings that we're looking at regarding marriage offer a warning against, in, for marriages that are facing challenges. Don't be deceived by adultery. Uh, 6.32, just as an example. A man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. When marriage is difficult, and especially if we are surrounded by others whose marriages are going through tough times, that offer of easy intimacy can be appealing. But as we've seen over previous weeks, Proverbs is clear in its warning. Adultery offers short-term pleasure and immediate benefit without the costs and the challenges of a marriage. But they are empty promises that last only for a moment and bring destruction in their wake. Unless we think that we are beyond making such a profound error of judgment, don't forget Jesus' words in Matthew 6, 27. He teaches those who are listening to him, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, 
anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And in this age of easy access pornography, adultery is, it's never more than the swipe of a finger away. Hear Jesus' warning. Pleasure by pixel is not a better option. Don't let the sex industry draw you in, especially when your marriage is travelling through turbulent seas. Well, we've kind of just been looking at the light posts, the, the lighthouses that are there, but as we've looked at what Proverbs has to say about marriage, uh, he says to his son, the teacher says to his son, your wife is a gift from God, rejoice in her. Work hard at resolving conflict and don't run to adultery when things are hard. Instead, rejoice, rejoice in the wife of your youth. It will be a blessing to you and to those around you as you live wisely. And as you do those things, it will be glorifying to God. Well, we've gotten a big picture overview of the gift of marriage in Proverbs. Next, we're considering Proverbs family focus. And I actually think part of the reason that Proverbs wants to make sure that we have healthy and vital marriages is because Proverbs puts forward a particular focus for our families to have. I mean, just ponder, what is it that actually shapes your parenting decisions? Is it our children's happiness? Or is it making sure that they fulfil their potential? There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting those things for our children, though even secular authorities will argue they're actually not great goals. They can be really bad goals, not just for ourselves, but also for our children, just because of how elusive and unattainable they are. But the repeated message of Proverbs is that a key focus for our families is to be raising children who know and fear the Lord. Uh, you see this right from the get-go. Uh, chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Or 6.20. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Uh, the whole book of Proverbs we've seen is framed as a father teaching his son to live wisely by knowing God. And while the primary speaker in the text is the father, uh, it's clear that the mother's also involved in the teaching and imparting of wisdom, which also means she has learnt it from somewhere. Uh, the passing on of wisdom from one generation to another is a team effort. It's part of the reason why I think it's so important that our marriages are functioning well. But peppered throughout the book of Proverbs in the clusters of sayings, uh, th there's two big clusters of uh, parenting uh, wisdom to keep in mind in this task of raising children to know and fear the Lord. Uh, the first is the exhortation to discipline children. So, again, some examples on the screen. 1324, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. 1918, discipline your children, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Or 22.6, start children off old, they will not turn. And I could go on. I, there are at least seven proverbs I found that underline the importance of discipline. Um, we're not going to get into the place of physical discipline this morning. I feel like we're already covering enough. But the big thing to notice is the importance that proverbs places on lovingly disciplining our children as part of teaching them wisdom. The second cluster of parenting proverbs are the proverbs that reflect on the result of raising children, the end result. So, 1721, to have a child brings grief. There is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. Or 1913, a foolish child is a, god, is a father's ruin. 
On the flip side, 23-24, the father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. Or 27-11, be wise, my son, and bring joy to my heart. Then I can answer anyone who treats me with contempt. Uh, we'll come back around to these again for another reason in a minute. But one of the things these proverbs do is set before us the value of training and disciplining our children to know and love God and his ways. And I take it because the sort of loving instruction and discipline that Proverbs commends is hard. It's far easier to wave our hands and say whatever and to focus on other things than it is to consciously and continuously engage in loving, careful instruction and discipline particularly when there's just so many things clamouring for our limited resources. But Proverbs wants to be clear, children who know and love God, it's something to be treasured and strived for. Contrast with what the world around us teaches to value and prioritise for our children and ourselves. You know, they want us to prioritise still good things. Our jobs, our, our relationships, houses, our happiness, they are good things, but Proverbs implores us to want the best for our children. Proverbs exhorts us to keep the focus on teaching our children something that is pleasant to the soul, more precious than silver or gold or rubies. It exhorts us, if you want what is best for your children, there is nothing more desirable than that they have wisdom. And it calls us to be hands-on in the task. Lest we make the mistake of thinking, oh, you know, that's all well and good for the, the writer, the teacher in Proverbs, to kind of sit in his philosophical armchair and make recommendations about what we need to prioritise. But, you know, does he actually know just how busy we are and how much we have to do? Just remember who the, king, who the teacher in Proverbs is. It's the king of God's people the one at the heart of political and civic life. It is a man with many important things on his plate, also teaching the person who is likely to be king in the future with many important things on his plate. Yet he underlines the importance of a hands-on approach for both parents in raising children who know and love God and his ways. Of course, exactly what that looks like for each of us in the particular life package God has given us is something we need to be working out. But the king who teaches us in Proverbs, he won't let us get away with just a, a hospital pass to our spouse or just outsourcing it to the church's youth ministry team. Uh, they're great ministry partners, but actually that doesn't get us away from the call to get our hands dirty in teaching our children wisdom. Uh, and that said, I am very thankful for the numerous examples that God has given this church as we try to think through what parenting, wise parenting looks like in action. Um, I've been tremendously encouraged by a number of conversations that I have with, with, with many of you as we seek to wrestle with what trying to faithfully teach and discipline our children looks like. So when the task is hard and it seems like it isn't bearing fruit, uh, there are many other activities that are on offer that could be easier or more relaxing or more profitable and seem more fulfilling be encouraged. You are working faithfully at an incredibly precious task. The teacher in Proverbs wants to say, I think, well done, keep going, don't give up, because it is so important, it is so precious. But it's also worth remembering 
that even when we do have the right focus, the focus that Proverbs holds up, things don't always work out how we'd like them to. So moving on to our final point, the families in a broken world. Our children are independent moral agents. We should not be surprised if despite our best efforts, our children do turn away from God and his ways to walk paths of folly instead. And in that situation, I think those proverbs we looked at a moment ago actually offer a measure of comfort. To have a fool for a child brings grief and there is no joy for the parent of a godless fool. I don't know if that sounds comforting on first read, but it actually clues us in that it is right to grieve when our children embrace folly. Our culture doesn't do grief well, even with things that we would agree are things worth grieving at times of death and so forth. But on top of that, we are living in a time where we are told that often our children pursuing folly, far from being something to grieve, is something that we must celebrate. And anything less than celebration is actually is hate. It's bad parenting. But Proverbs says no. It actually names the problem and gives us a way forward. It gives us permission to grieve when our children, our own children, or other children in the congregation are making foolish choices. It encourages us to seek care and support and give it to those who need it when we face this hurdle, rather than be further burdened by the need to pretend that things are fine when they're not. We shouldn't be surprised when our families are a source of pain because we live in a world that is fractured by sin. And actually, you know, when you think about it, the pain of dysfunctional marriages and wayward children they're two of the key images that the Bible uses to help us understand the depths of the problem of sin. Proverbs 29.3, a man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. And I have a strong suspicion that that proverb was in the back of Jesus' mind when he told the parable of the prodigal son that Dan read out for us earlier. I'm not sure I've really thought hard about that particular parable since becoming a father, but, you know, when I stop and consider the story of a child who essentially says to his father, I wish you were dead, takes his money, his share of the inheritance, and and wastes it. Gosh, it's a kick in the guts. It's tragic. But it gives us a real glimpse into just how devastating sin and folly are. But as you think about it more and more, I realise the problem is not just something that's out there in the world, it's something that's in my heart. As we keep looking at Proverbs and considering the wise life, I continue to be confronted with how easily my heart veers towards folly. Rather than continuing to rejoice in my spouse, when things get hard, my heart is all too ready to stir up conflict rather than to make peace or to hide behind all the other important things I need to get done or to listen to the offer of just a few minutes of pleasure by pixel. The problem's not just out there, it's in here. But at the same time, the image of the restored relationships between marriage partners or between parents and wayward children, it gives us a glimmer of God's undeserved kindness. In the midst of our own sin and folly, or those closest to us, God reminds us of his grace and mercy to all who turn back to him. That is a great thing to be able to hope in and a great thing to be able to pray 
when those who are closest to us are hurting us and they're working away from God. Last thing to consider this morning, though, is that as we hold all of this wisdom that Proverbs holds up for us together that we've been thinking about as we consider families, is to remember that the writers of the New Testament draw on this image of family to help us understand church. We share a profound closeness with each other because those of us who trust in Jesus are part of the same spiritual family. We share in each other's joy and grief. And having considered the big picture of family in Proverbs, it should help us understand a little bit more about the focus for us as a church. Uh, To teach and to train and encourage and spur each other on to live in light of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. Or to use the language of Proverbs, uh, to fear the Lord as we live with wisdom. Um, Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for the wisdom that you give us in Proverbs and in Jesus. We thank you for the families that you bless us with, and we pray that you would help us to keep rejoicing in our spouses and teaching and training our children to know and love you, knowing that there is great value in these things. We know that times of difficulty and challenge will come, and when they do, Father, we ask that you will help us to keep rejoicing in our spouses and to keep seeking to love and to train and to teach our children. When things get really bad, help us to recognise the rightness of grieving and help us to uh, turn for support and to give support to those who need it. Thank you that in the midst of our own sin, we know uh, the hope that you have given us in Jesus and the forgiveness we have in his name. And we pray that you would help us to keep holding out that light to those around us so that they too might come uh, to follow you. Amen.